Hello and welcome to the special episode of the Monaco Weekly. I'm Fernando Augusto Pacheco, and for today's show I speak with Sara Dosa, director of the beautiful documentary Fire of Love, about volcanologist couple Katya and Maurice Kraft. The film has been nominated for this year's BAFTA and Oscars. Here is Sara with more. This is Katya, and this is Maurice. Tomorrow will be their last day. Sarah, welcome to Monaco 24 uh, to talk about Fire of Love, which is such a beautiful film. And as I was telling you before, I didn't actually know uh, the couple, the French scientists Katia and Maurice Kraft. Did you knew them before you made the film? What was your connection with them? Or was it a bit of a surprise of a last-minute discovery? Yeah. Um, well, first, just thank you so much for having me on the show. It's, it's such a joy to be here. Um, I didn't know about Katia and Maurice Kraft, actually, before um, we started making the film. Um, uh, actually, we found out about them quite serendipitously. My team and I, we were finishing the last film uh, I directed, which is a documentary entitled The Seer and the Unseen. That film tells the story of an Icelandic woman uh, who is a seer, and she is in communication with spirits of nature in Iceland, which is a very common belief there and in many parts of the world. Um, we wanted to open that film with shots, archival shots of erupting volcanoes in Iceland to show how Iceland is kind of a world in the making um, in the cycle of the creation and destruction of land. And volcanoes illustrate that so beautifully. So once we started researching archival footage of erupting volcanoes in Iceland, we found Katya and Marie's craft because not that many people had done that kind of photography and we instantly just saw how spectacular their images were. But it was once we learned about them as a couple, you know, the fact that they were so in love with each other and the earth, um, the fact that they had shot hundreds of hours of footage and authored nearly 20 books. We thought, wow, there, there's something really exciting to explore here, um, not just in, in their story, but also in the materials that they left behind. And I want to talk, of course, about the imagery later, but it feels to me such a, a personal film because there are no other like talking heads. It's just basically them talking. I mean, this is so beautiful. And was that your choice from the beginning to do that? It was, yes. It was very important for us to let their archival material speak for itself as much as possible. Um, of course, there's tremendous limitations with any archival uh, record. Um, things are lost to time. Things become systemically erased. Uh, there's all kinds of challenges with our archival filmmaking. Um, but we wanted to use kind of their, their footage, their words, um, the memories uh, imprinted on their loved ones um, to kind of collage together to, to form the basis of the film. Um, we interviewed an, a number of people who knew them and loved them, including some family members. Uh, we never shot those on camera, though, because we were concerned that if we incorporated those images and, and those testimonies in the film, it would kind of break the temporality uh, of the narrative structure. We really wanted to situate our audience in the, you know, kind of the play-by-play, so to speak, with Katya and Maurice um, to really create this sense of, like, present tense. You're, you're with them uh, every step of the way from, you know, the uh, mundane moments at, at their home in Alsace, France, to um, being on the edge of an erupting crater. And there's a wink there between both of them that I think they knew that that documentary like this would come out in a way because they're so 
camera ready in a way, right? Did you did you also have that impression? We absolutely did. You know, they were incredible filmmakers, um, not just in the cinematography, the images, you know, that they they captured, but also in, in the stories that they told. They would uh, edit their footage and tour with it around the world. Often it didn't have sound, but they would live narrate their, uh, their journeys with their images projected behind them, often set to music. Um, but they really knew how to engage people uh, with themselves as, as characters too, you know they of course had certain outfits that they would wear for um, for safety. For example, they're they're quite well known for these aluminized suits that make them look like silver robots dancing at the edge of craters. Um, but there was something uh, there was a utility to kind of how they dressed too in terms of a public image. Um, it's such kind of like a beguiling, exciting, otherworldly thing to see these these people dressed like that, um, or so charming. Like for example, they also wear these like red toques. Um, that many people associate with like Jacques Cousteau, but uh, I'll, I'll just say Katia and Reese had like a costume and a look that was very true and authentic to them, but at the same time kind of brought people into um, these characters that they were performing at the same time. Um, and that really introduced people to, to their world and to their material. Um, so uh, I'll, I'll just say that they really knew how to craft stories uh, around themselves and invite people into. Well, they knew how to make a beautiful video as well. What about the quality of the imagery? Because I know I'm the original, but did you have to kind of restore a little bit of that? Because it's impressive. Uh, it doesn't feel like old archive material sometimes, you know? Oh, that, that's nice to hear. We had the wonderful fortune of working with an archival facility called Image Est, which is based in Nancy, France. The archive had changed hands uh, through the years, but when we came to, the pro- to make our project, that's where the footage was housed. And they knew how special it was. They absolutely revered the crafts and took such good care of the imagery. So uh, there wasn't a, a ton of restoration work that we had to actually do, but we worked with Image Est to digitize their collection, and we were very happy to uh, to be the the first film team to have the entire collection digitized, uh, which was extraordinary for us to get to work with uh, to to see you know every piece of what they held onto. There was another kind of batch of footage, though, that existed outside of, of that archive where Katia and Marie would appear on television, say, in France or Belgium or Switzerland. Or um, they, for example, also had a children's show for a little bit, wow. uh, which is so delightful. I, I would love to just, like, re-release. Uh, I think there's six episodes, and it's so charming. So we, we found, uh, through the tremendous work of our archival producer, Nancy Marcotte, we, we tracked down all of those other instances of Katia and Marie appearing before other people's cameras and um, wove that into the film. That footage was not as beautiful as the 16 millimeter imagery that Katia and Maurice themselves shot. Uh, and so that needed some cleanup. And we had the great fortune of working with a, um, a post-production team in Montreal uh, that really helped to kind of bring out some of the color as well as um, play with the texture uh, of, of that archival imagery as well. Well, they had so much material, but I think to be honest, I mean, in a way it's good for you, but also bad because you have so many things to choose. <laughs> I'm sure it's been quite a, a long process in a way to find more moments. For example, I told you one of my favorite scenes, I think when, uh, when Maurice is walking in front of Katya and she said, well, if he dies, at least I'm here. I don't know, it felt very romantic, that scene. Uh, there, I'm sure there are a lot of little gems like hidden in the archive, right? Absolutely. That was one of our favorite parts of, of the process. Um, I worked with two phenomenal editors, Aaron Casper and Jocelyn Chapu. And the, the footage, it, it was absolutely spectacular, but it was also really challenging because it came to us um, kind of chopped up. Uh, the way Aaron described it once, it's like putting dailies into a blender, 
hitting puree and then taking the pieces out and kind of stringing them out. It was, you know, shots that were two seconds long, five seconds long, maybe 10 seconds long. And so trying to create cohesive scenes from mm. that kind of fragmented footage was very challenging. But what it did is trained our minds and our eyes to look for details. You know, what was the, the tiny shot that could cause the scene to feel whole? And oftentimes things were out of order. And so we would find a lot of surprises amid the footage. Uh, for example, you know, there is a, a decent amount of footage of a monitor lizard eating a dead animal. And we're like, what does that mean? Or a very eerie shot of um, what seemed to be a, a millipede kind of dancing across their friend Michelle Wolf's arm and over his watch that reminded us, us of like a Dali painting. So mm-hmm. all to say there was all kinds of surprises along the way. But the challenges we had with the footage kind of really helped us to to see the, the beauty or, or as you put it, the gems within it. And that ended up becoming part of our editing style. And um, we had to embrace that as kind of the artistic language of the film. What about the narration? How did Miranda July became involved? I mean, it's a lovely, I love her tones kind of slightly husky in a way, but it really worked very well. Oh, thanks so much. Um, at the very beginning, we actually didn't want any narration for the mm. film. We hoped that the craft's materials would just speak for themselves. However, we quickly learned the limitations of the footage, um, despite being so beautiful. But uh, aside from kind of that, that chopped up nature to the footage, the 16 millimeter uh, imagery did not have any sound. So, um, And also there was very little footage of Katya and Maurice together. And so when you're trying to tell a love story, which for us really felt like the truest presentation of the craft story, even though you can make hundreds of films a- about their work, um, we had to figure out how we were actually going to uh, convey that, that piece um, of, of their story. And we thought that narration could do that well. Part of that was because uh, their own writing reminded us of some of the narration of French New Wave films. They have, they write in this very like, kind yes. of playful, bombastic voice that um, hearkens, you know, uh, Francois Truffaut or Agnes Varda. And French New Wave also shows up, like in, in Maurice's cinematography, there's those really playful snap zooms, for example, that a lot of people today might associate with Wes Anderson, but mm-hmm. really originated in the French New Wave. So we were trying to adopt the, the styles that seem to influence them as our own guides. And um, at, in, in terms of doing that, we, we decided, okay, let's use a, a French New Wave style uh, um, type of narration. And Miranda July actually came to us as a surprise during a brainstorming session, um, but she's so perfectly kind of fit what we were hoping for. As an artist herself, there's so much longing and nuance and, you know, such a studied idea of... Uh, of what it means to be in love that, that comes through in, in her delivery and in her performance. So getting to work with her was, was really extraordinary. How was the film? I know the film is being very well received um, in the US, in the UK. What about in France? Do you know? I mean, how how was the how did they perceive the film? Because I'm sure the French have a closer connection uh, to both of them. Yeah, that, that's a great question. And quite honestly, that was what I was most nervous about, mm. is how how is Fire of Love going to be received in France and specifically by the people who knew them and, and loved them? Um, I'm happy to say that our French premiere, I think, was probably my, my favorite of all of our screenings. Mm. Uh, we had so many meaningful ones, but Maurice's older brother, Bertrand Kraft, um, actually presented the film. He gave an introduction to it and um, said some really meaningful things. And many people who worked with them, who knew them, loved them, were in the audience. And, and there was a feeling of, of a kind of homecoming, so to speak. You know, people are still mourning Katya and Maurice, but the fact that their imagery is touring the world again, again and was celebrated in their home country uh, meant a lot. 
that that premiere was actually at the Louvre, and so it was wow. particularly exciting for us to have you know these these celebrated scientists now being praised for their art. You know, being in the Louvre, that felt like a, a rightful place for Katya and Marie's craft as these you know artists of the earth. So it, it was really special for us, and it's been amazing to see how the film has been embraced in France and and especially by people who who knew them best. Well, and still being embraced. I mean, we have the BAFTAs, the Oscars. I mean, congratulations! <laughs> Thank you. I have to say, <laughs> how, how do you feel this award season? Oh. Kind of <laughs> must be quite exciting. It's very exciting. Yeah. I never in a million years would have imagined this would happen. I, um, my team and I, we we tend to make kind of. Um, idiosyncratic or, or unconventional films about idiosyncratic or unconventional subjects, and so I, I just never, and I, I never would have imagined a film I would make would um, be on this kind of level. And so I'm, I'm deeply humbled and honored, and still surprised. <laughs> but I, I keep thinking about Katia and Maurice, and, and that's really where um, I feel best. And uh, and uh, the fun and crazy kind of ride of all of this is being grounded in, in my amazing team and, and Katya and Maurice. And I feel like they would be so honored too. It was their highest goal to really cause people to fall in love with the earth the way they loved the earth. Um, and by doing so, they hoped that people would you know, care for it. And so um, the fact that so many more people are now going to be introduced to their spectacular imagery and hopefully can, can feel like this love letter to the planet, um, I, I think that that would kind of fulfill a, um, part of their mission. But I also think Katya and Maurice would be just amused. I think they would think all oh, this is so funny. They had this view, you know, living their lives next to like this seemingly supernatural force, you know, this creator and destroyer that are volcanoes. Um, it allowed them to kind of look at humanity with, with a different kind of eye. And, and I think that they would kind of find this like, yeah, just very kind of like silly and amusing. Um, and at once it, it would make them happy. And another important thing they did, I mean, they, they, they I mean, public service as yes. well, you know, and how we deal with volcanoes when something happens. That's that, that was such a surprising scene after the shock of what happened in Colombia. That was a nice addition to the film as well, besides oh, the love you. part. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks so much. Yeah, um, they were such strong advocates mm -hmm. for really trying to use their um, storytelling to convince governments to, to listen to scientists and also to listen to people who live in relationship with volcanoes, um, aside from those who are explicitly scientists. Um, and their work did go on, you know, to save thousands and thousands of lives um, through that kind of advocacy. For us, we actually felt like that kind of disillusionment, um, you know, witnessing the, the utter devastation in Colombia in 1985 was part of a love story, too, because they became so... Um, so devastated that their love could commit these horrors, um, mm. not to overly anthropomorphize volcanoes, but that's really kind of how they understood it. They devoted their lives towards the pursuit of understanding. Um, and for them, as we say in the film, understanding is love's other name. And uh, it was so devastating to them. But they really said, OK, we, you know, they, they believed that they could be these kind of intermediaries of sorts that could kind of bridge the volcano world with the human world to to create some repair and, and Maurice's kind of quixotic words, you know, he dreamed of a world where volcanoes could no longer kill. So all, all to say, um, they knew how to use kind of their um, their artistry uh, and their storytelling savvy um, uh, to communicate on behalf of people and, and to really hopefully um, stave off some of the disasters that they bore witness to. In this world lived a fire, and in this fire, two lovers 
found a home. That was Sarah Dosa, director of Fire of Love. The film is out now. The show was edited by Callum McLean, and I am Fernando Augusto Pacheco. <laughs>